And so I thought, let me just figure out a way to give back. And I went to give back financially. Donations to nonprofits uh, was the first thought of my mind. And when I sought out to do that, there was not a lot out there for me to start with. No, No place to start my journey. No way to find what I'd done for the last five or seven years to benchmark where I'd been and from a philanthropic standpoint. And that irked me. And I thought there should be a way for people that want to give back to be able to give back. From sunny Los Angeles, California, Varen Tellis joins me today on Bridging the Gap for another intriguing and unique conversation. Varen is an inspiration and his story is what intrigued me to connect with him and have him on this podcast. Varen is the founder of Hadado, where they are modernizing corporate giving by providing employees, followers, and customers a donation experience for today. And it's different than just a charitable fund. It's a easy one-to-one charitable donation that you know where the monies are going and can follow them. We opened the conversation with Varen on how he got started with Hadado and the backstory to why he decided to step into this charitable space. Varen also helps us understand that going through a failure can result in a meaningful experience within your life. He talks about how Hadado is helping individuals see the impact from their donations and also about how staying positive while you're pushing your journey as an entrepreneur, which can be so difficult because it is such a hard journey. This was an inspirational conversation. It's also about a company that's doing amazing things. So I'm excited to bring you this story and this inspiring conversation. So let's jump into my conversation with Farron Tellis. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Varen Tellis, welcome to Bridging the Gap, my friend. How are you? How's everything going on your end? How's life in, I think it's San Diego, is that right? Oh, close. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles, but life is good. Good to be here. It's uh, just as sunny here as it is in San Diego, I'm sure. I can't really complain. You you know, what's the difference, really? What's the difference between LA and San Diego? I mean, the people that different between the two, or it's the same type of people, it's the same weather. Relative to the South, it's all chill, right? Yeah. <laughs> Say the same weather as well. So what are you saying about us Southerners? What are you saying about us Southerners, huh? <laughs> That's true. What am I saying? Yeah. Oh, more chill, I'm sure. Just even more chill. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're saying we're uptight. We got all this stuff going on, right? Well, Ren, man, I'm I'm stoked to have you join the podcast. We connected recently via a mutual friend, and I just was inspired by your story. I'm inspired by the company you are creating. And I think it's something so interesting that this industry is kind of becoming more aware of. And I think that you're on the beginning end of it because it's so new. But before we even get into Hidato and the company, which I did sign up for, I haven't given my first dollar yet, but I've signed up for it, talked to the wife about it. uh, And I'm stoked about starting to give. But I always like to ask, I would, I want to know your story. Your story is incredible. You've already told me, but I want you to tell the audience. But before you get into the story, I want you to answer this one question. The, what did the 13-year-old Varen tell us want to do, right? What does the 13-year-old Varen tell us want to do? Uh, and then tell us how you got to here. Oh, man. 13-year-old me was probably thinking, I want to play soccer, but I'm just not good enough. Uh, you know, you know, varsity level, but I'm not going to be professional. And I was extremely good at piano. And I thought maybe there was a career in that. I don't know. Who knows? But when I got to grad, when I got to undergrad, 
I went into business and and from that point it was clear I was going to be on the business side of things. But 13 year old me, I don't think I had any any idea what I was going to be doing. Do you still uh, play then. piano? Do you still play piano or soccer? I played both. Yeah, occasionally play piano with my kids, trying to get them excited about it. They're just five and two now, so just really young. And uh, same with soccer, like playing recreationally and and getting my daughter into AYSO for the first time this fall. So pretty exciting. I love that. That's incredible. That's incredible. So let's fast forward, right? Let's talk about the journey to get into starting Hidato and starting this kind of focus on creating a platform to make it easier to give and in philanthropy, uh, because I know that that's not what you started out doing necessarily. So I, I'd love to hear your journey to where you are today. Yeah, you know, my my starting out mindset was probably sophomore, junior in college, really thinking, I just want to own a business. I just want to jump into business and do something. I want to, I just want to make money. Right. I was, I was financially focused and I, I took the first leap when I was 20 years old. I, I partnered with some friends and we raised money and we bought ourselves a Quiznos franchise license. So we were going to be restaurateurs and we got that kicked off in my senior year. I also got a full-time gig when I graduated in consulting economic financial analysis. And so I was double timing that during the day and, and Quiznos on, on nights and weekends. And it was a grind, but man, I was loving it. It was a lot of fun. I was learning a ton. You know, I was a businessman. And, and yet I hadn't experienced, you know, tough times. And 2008 came around and that was a tough time. Economic downturn. People started bringing their lunch to work. Subway came out with a $5 foot long. And Quiznos, which competed on product, it was a great product. Uh, we got crushed. Sales got heading down south. It made us think about what are we going to do? And ultimately, we had to close up shop. And it just ended up in just the worst financial failure for me personally, for my partners and uh, crushing. And in that failure, after coming to terms with it, I realized that the next thing I want to do has to be meaningful. I jumped in this because I was excited about being in business, but I didn't really jump in because I was passionate about sandwiches. And I didn't jump in because I was loving and in love with the people I was working with. I was just on the road. And on the ride with folks that wanted to do it too. And so then I really started to reflect and think about, hey, I want to go build something that is going to be good for the world. Or I want to work on products that are going to be positive. And granted, I didn't know what that was. So that was just a realization I had from failure. And I still had the rest of my career to try to figure out how I how I get to a spot where I could build something that was meaningful. You you mentioned something to me. I hope I don't pry too much, but when we were talking, when we first connected about something that the bankruptcy judge said to you. I, I, you know, I thought that that was just such a insightful moment provided by a judge and to, to someone yourself that was in a situation, if you want to elaborate on it, please do, in a situation that was just like, what the hell am I doing here? But it was such an insightful moment, one of those moments that you look back on and it's like, that man was what, or woman was well beyond their years and helped guide you. I, I thought that was such an interesting point of view that they had. Yeah, so that you know that that financial failure resulted in personal bankruptcy, and it came about because I had signed a lease in my own name, and we couldn't pay the lease terms. I was twenty years old. You just do what you do to do to get get the job done at that point. But I was in front of the bankruptcy judge, thinking my life is over, and he had this look on his face like you'll be fine, <laughs> and it like did not compute. I couldn't understand why he had that reaction, and it took me months to realize it. And I think it was that he saw in me that I had a family, friends, and a job, an education, I had the ability to bring about change. 
And many of the other folks in that room didn't have that ability. And I think that was a realization that when I realized why he had that look, it was like, oh, okay, I can do something still. I don't have to make this my defining moment and it can come back from this failure. I think it's something to be said of failure in general, right? What it means. And and I think that also just that the longevity you have, why you want to fail fast, because you have a lot more time to learn and, and grow from that. And I think it's such a powerful takeaway. And you know, some people may be listening and be like, well, I'm 45 or 47 and I can't fail now because I don't have the same, you know, <laughs> runway that Varen had. But you know, I think in reality, we all have we have to have failures to learn those experiences to help us find clarity in what we want. And it really kind of led to your finding and your passion now of wanting to make a, an impact in the world and led to Hidato. And I think that it's something that we can all take away of how to make a failure something meaningful, no matter our age, no matter our stature in life. Tell us a little bit about Hidato and how you came about starting this business that you have now and what y'all are doing and the impact you're making. Yeah, sure. So you know, I had a career post that Quizno experience and post consulting. I, I worked in technology for a number of years at a company that I was very passionate about and had a great mission. And when I came out of that company with, and there was a successful exit associated with it, I was an employee, not a founder. I was comfortable in thinking, wow, I've really done a lot. But I thought back that moment with the judge and realized like I hadn't really achieved this moment of like making the world a better place. And so I thought, let me just figure out a way to give back. And I went to give back financially donations to nonprofits uh, was the first thought of my mind. And when I sought out to do that, there was not a lot out there for me to start with. No, no place to start my journey, no way to find what I'd done for the last five or seven years to benchmark where I'd been and from a philanthropic standpoint. And that irked me. And I thought there should be a way for people that want to give back to be able to give back. And that's what got me started on, on Hidato. And interestingly, this, this industry is, is, just massive. So you're, you're looking at $300 billion donated by individuals. And $100 billion of that is coming from folks making $100,000 to $500,000 per year. So when you think about all that capital moving, you think, well, there must be a lot of businesses happening here. And in fact, there are. Most of them are focused on the nonprofits, which are those ones thinking about how do we raise funds? How do we improve our fundraising, our donor management, our CRM systems for nonprofits? but not a lot of technology is focused on the donor, the person giving. And I thought there's an opportunity here to help the donor be better at what they want to do, which is make a difference in the world. You know, when I think about donating and making an impact, there's always been this challenge, I think, of the tangible understanding of who you're giving to and what you're giving to and what's the impact that it's having, right? I think that we all tend to find ourselves giving to these large organizations that have a lot of money that can market themselves to be known. Nothing wrong with them. But I think that the the, the challenge is, is like how some of those organizations that are making a real big impact that are smaller and niche And I think about like small businesses and, and everything of that nature that are making a big impact, but may not have brand name, but without them, this economy would be nothing. And I think about it in the same way in the nonprofit world and, and in the giving world. How do y'all think about whether you have it now at the Dotto, but in terms of your vision of the product, how do you all think about getting exposure to that and then also helping individuals? And, and I say give exposure to that, meaning to the smaller nonprofits that could really benefit and make an impact. But yeah. then how, how do you think about helping individuals see the impact that they're making with their donations? Because I think that that's also some of the biggest challenges of why we just give 
but it may not be we may want to give more because we we know the impact and we can tangibly see it and touch it that's right yeah absolutely i i think the first thing that comes to mind here is that when you want to help a donor manage a philanthropy it has to be to every nonprofit not just the big nonprofits not just the ones with technology so that was like foundation pillar number 1 for us is like you can give to any nonprofit in the US full stop and you know one day hopefully that's going to be international as well so once you've got that then the secondary question is well there's probably nonprofits you're already passionate about things that you align to their vision or mission things in your local community things that you're aware of and so you can go do that and you can do it on a regular and recurring basis step 3 is how do i discover those new nonprofits, those new small ones that are making a great impact. And I think there are two ways to do that. One is through, you know, great search, which we're going to be building in the near future. Another way is through just recommendations and understanding where others are giving. And we've got ways and tools in our product to allow you to showcase where you give so your friends and family know, or for you to, you know, align yourself with companies that have really done the work already to identify these small organizations. And then the final step to your point is understand my impact. And that's a key thing that's, that Hadado is going to be building to make sure that people understand like, here's what the what the impact was. And that's going to take connective tissue between the donor and the nonprofit. And really for us, that's the vision of the platform is how do you bring those, those things together? Is there anybody doing that right now? Is there anybody that's helping donors understand their impact outside of just getting newsletters from the, the, the foundations or the communities or the nonprofits they're donating to? Yeah, I would say today, most of that technology is focused on the nonprofit, which then becomes a one-to-one relationship between nonprofit and donor. And so really from the donor's perspective, it's, I want to understand that across multiple nonprofits, specifically the ones I gave to. And so that's where we think there's a platform play to bring that together and really make an experience that's somewhat tailored to each individual donor, yet programmatically you know, refreshes and updates across all nonprofits. I love that because I, I've always said that, you know, I think I would be more inspired to donate more if I knew and understood. That's why I give to local organizations that I'm a part of because I see it, I touch it, I feel it, I, right. I am there. But that that limits a lot of the things that I'm passionate about that I could be giving that may not be in my local community that I'm not involved in and, and it can expand your your horizon. Talk to me about, because you, you mentioned the the marketplace, right? 300 billion is donated, 100 billion. I, I kind of grouped them into being like the mass affluent individual. What are the challenges that the mass affluent have with donating? And really, who is your market, right? Who are you focused on serving? Which part of that 300 billion do you think needs more access to a platform like Adato that can go and really benefit and donate more even than what they are? Yeah, so we're really focused on that middle tier. If you think about the upstream 100 billion people that are making more than 500,000, maybe they're, you know, you've got the, the billionaires and, you know, tens of millionaires. Typically, those folks have maybe uh, handholding services. They have foundations, perhaps, that can they can run their dollars through. And on the, on the lower end, there's a lot of great technology out there that's helping with small-time donations or rounding up your change at the end of the, at the, end of the um, credit card cycle. But Specifically in the middle, you have a group of people that have the ability, tolerance to give, but don't have the tools to manage that. And so that's where we're really focused. If you think about folks that are making that amount of money, their average annual donations are anywhere from $700 to $5,000. And yet it's over across 12 or 13 different platforms, depending on who's been asking them to give. So how do you consolidate in into one place? And so some specific pain points we hear are 
you know, the discovery problem. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to give, but I, and I see a problem, but I'm not sure which nonprofit solves it. The impact problem I'm giving, but I don't know what impact is. And, and the biggest one for us and where we really started is I'm giving all over the place. I'm ready to give, but I want to see it in one place. And really, we came out with a couple of products that help answer that particular pain point. One being a portfolio concept, put any nonprofit into the portfolio, weight allocate it like a 401k and a given a single transaction. So now you've got mm-hmm. a monthly record, recurring credit card statement that says X dollars from Hadado, but you know, oh, I know how exactly how that's being moved around. I know it's getting to all those nonprofits. And by the way, Hadado charges no fees for this. We don't take any cut of any of the donations that go through our platform. And then the second one is you give outside Hadado. We, we totally understand that's going to happen, especially if a friend sends you a link. You're not going to necessarily say no. You can forward your donation receipt to us. We'll add it to your profile. And then you're going to be ready at tax time. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. You know, this this idea of corporate giving, I think in the evolving world that we are, right or wrong of what spurred the focus of it, corporations are, are focusing on it more and more. I think that there's more of a, I want to say in a polarized world that there is a sense of community that people are trying to help out. And I think that there are. I think that there's, you know, there's missions that people have that they're focused on. In your mind, What's happening in the whole world of corporate giving, right? When it looks at businesses, and, and, and we talked about it a little bit on the individual side, but in the world of corporate giving, what's changing? What are you seeing as the trends? And and where does overall giving go? Do you see it exploding beyond you know five hundred billion? Like where does it go? And and what do you think from your you're close to it? Like what what's going to be the driver of that? Yeah. So on the corporate side. Let's take away the 300 billion that's individual giving. On the corporate side, you've got another 100 billion, and about 25, 40 of that ish, depending on that, what figures you're looking at, are coming from specifically for profit organizations, anywhere from the SP 500 down to small mom and pops. And on that side, the, the hierarchy kind of starts as I want to do good in my community. I want to bring my employees together around a cause. I want to allow my employees to bring their whole self to work and I want to support them on what they do. And I think that's what we're seeing a graduation of organizations doing, where when they have a little bit of budget, they want to get back. When they have a little bit more budget, they say, how can I engage my employees? Increasing engagement increases retention, increasing retention, obviously good for the business. And then at the next level, hey, I need to provide a perk almost, right? It's a benefit alongside health and wellness benefits, alongside your retirement benefits. That is allowing the person, the individual to give back to their missions, their visions, whatever it matters to them from a nonprofit standpoint. And we're going to support that. And so really, you got to think about the technology at each of those steps uh, and what, you know, what can be helpful and how we can support. So I think we're going to continue to see an increase of this as we've seen in the last you know, five years. Another thing that's going to drive this is just the number of, let's call them anomalous events that are happening, whether that be social or environmental or other. But as these events are happening, and you can think of anything from the pandemic to Black Lives Matter to like all the weather related uh, to, you know, disasters we've had this year, that's causing people to go, what am I doing in my job? How am I making an impact? And the companies are saying, how are we making an impact? And I think you're seeing them use the dollars to both put their own money to work, but also allow the employees to, to join in on that and make some impact. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I can see that trend happening. And so from the corporate standpoint, they can you they, they I mean, I'm just so curious about how this all works, right? Because I think it's like, if you can make it simple, then you can increase the amount, right? And you can increase the impact. And I think that that's what it's all about. Let's make it simple to give. Let's make it simple for corporations to match. 
Let's make it simple for employees to, to provide or give to their causes. And then it makes a happier employee and it makes a happier person. And I think with the comp- competition that's happening in the labor market these days, you got to think outside the box. And so how does a corporation then use this, right? Do they their employees get a log in and then they're just matching whatever they're doing? Does it go match to match to their charities or nonprofits that they're donating to? Yeah, so a couple of different ways, right? So we have some companies, come customers of ours that are using it as a donation benefit or a, a perk. So they say, wherever our employees give, we want to match. And so we basically instruct the employees to simply use their work email address as they create their account. And automatically, wherever they give, they're going to see donations getting matched by their company. And we've created a, a very simple company dashboard that lets them go in and in a single transaction match as many nonprofits, as many employees at once. And, and you think, well, that seems obvious, but let me tell you a little bit about what currently is happening in a lot of these companies. The process to get a donation match would be, I've got to print out a form. I've got to fill that form out. In some cases, I need to send that form to the nonprofit so they can sign off and say they received the funds, get that form back, then pass it to my accounting department, who then takes that and validates and says, this seems good. And then they have to pull out the company credit card, go to the nonprofit website and like run the card. And you think about all that headache. And I've talked to, which is the, this is the kind of the, the funny part. I've talked to people that are responsible for rolling out the process and they go, yeah, I don't get matched because it's just too complicated. And I'm like, well, then we got to have a better way, right? So here, here's another example of how we work. With smaller organizations, they might say, hey, in the you know Q3, we want to support just these five organizations. We're going to match $5,000 across these five. And we tell our the employees to go to that page, donate. They don't even need to create an account as long as they use a corporate card. They can get matched. And then same, same process in the back end. The company can use their dashboard to just match as many donations and as many employees at once. That's incredible. You know, when we talked, I thought that there was a the reason that I felt that this was such an interesting concept and an interesting conversation was I think it's so different of what's going on. And I think that advisors, there's a few areas, right? Advisors, if you have a mass affluent segment of your market, this is an op- awesome opportunity in my mind that I never even really thought about of of adding more value, right? Our industry right now in wealth management is you know, we're focused on, you know, what our core was for so long was investment management has been somewhat commoditized. And we now have to find more services and more value add to tie to help our clients see what we're doing. And I think that this is an awesome opportunity given the changing landscape in the world. And this is an awesome one. And if you have clients that are corporations, like like I was talking about, the job market, the labor market is so, so tough that this is an awesome opportunity for that. And that's why I thought it was so interesting because it's a different perspective. It's thinking outside of the box of value services as opposed to doing like accounting or estate planning or investment management or just planning. Like this is charitable planning. People, yeah. I think as an advisor, we could help clients, help them understand which organizations that they want to donate and help them build a portfolio. And I think it's a really neat value add opportunity for advisors in the space to add the unique value to their clients. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let me just add something on that because I think for advisors specifically, there's a little bit of nuance that's worth discussing, which is that, you know, the tax implications of this. Oftentimes that's one of the reasons you might have a conversation about with your client about around giving. And historically the way that might be have done is through what's called a donor advised fund through Fidelity or Schwab. But there's some challenges with that. What happens is you typically put that money into the donor advised fund and the donor might say, okay, I've, I've got my tax advantage because I moved money from, from myself to a nonprofit entity. But the money then sits in Fidelity and Schwab and just incurs fees. And it's not actually helping the end 
you know, nonprofit. So with Hidato, we really focus on this idea of recurring giving. So you have a conversation with your client and say, you know, what's your tolerance for giving in a given year? Oh, our tolerance is $6,000. Great. Use Hidato, set up a $500 recurring donation and choose the nonprofits you want to give to. And on a given month, if you want to change those around, you just change the nonprofit. It doesn't change anything about the financial side. And it creates predictability in your distribution of, of wealth from you to the nonprofits. It, it, and it also, it, at the end of the year, if you're ready to like have a conversation with your tax account, it's simply just an export of a Excel document, which is already built in the product that they can use. So really a, yeah. a lot of easier than you know setting up a whole fund, which at the end of the day may not even get the money to the nonprofit, which is a problem. Incredible. Incredible. You know, before I let you go, I want to talk in that. And before I get to my two main questions, I ask every guest, I, I always like to talk about entrepreneurship. I think that there's a lot of advisors out there that are looking to go start their own firm. They're going out on their own. They may be breaking away. They may be just getting into the business. And I've talked to a lot of advisors about entrepreneurship, about the journey. I've been able and fortunate to start a technology company along with a wealth management company. And you're starting a technology company. I'd always love to know the journey of a founder and, and some of the, the the lessons you learned, right? I, mean, I know you're still early in it, but you, you've experienced a lot. What, what would you say would be maybe one or two of your takeaways or lessons learned so far in your founder journey uh, of starting Hadado and getting it out and keeping it going and, and building the impact that it's having? Yeah. I mean, the first and foremost is that it's hard to just jump in. It's, it's, it's that, that big step, that big leap, but that's the way to go. You've got to go all in and really bet on yourself. And that's really what it is at the, I think at the forefront. You, you might have an idea and maybe you have a team, maybe you have some money, but ultimately you're betting on yourself and you need that conviction inside because that conviction has to last not just those first few days, it has to last years. And so make sure you have conviction in yourself first and foremost. The number one reason though you don't have conviction in yourself is, is being afraid, being afraid to fail. And so to that, I say two things. One, financial failure is not personal failure. and Financial success is not personal success. You need to separate those things apart and really say, why am I doing this? What matters to me? And what impact am I going to have in my industry and in my business and you know, whatever part of the world you're innovating in? And when you can separate the financial from the personal, I think it becomes a lot easier to, to jump into any type of entrepreneurship business. I couldn't agree more. And I love, 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 love. That is a golden kind of mentality and a golden equation of financial failure doesn't equal personal failure and financial success doesn't equal personal success. And too often, I think we strive and we start businesses with the with the right intent, but I think wrong reason. And what I mean by that is I think we have the intent to do good, but we also have the reason of becoming wealthy. We see all the, we only hear about the big successes. We don't hear about the massive failures that happen every single second of the day. From a mentality standpoint, I think it's hard mentally to stay focused and persevere through challenges that you have when you're starting a business because there's ups, there's downs. Many people only hear about the good things. You We only <laughs> share. I, I mean, I don't know any time I've ever talked to a founder and be like, how are things? They're like, it sucks. I'm terrible. This business is terrible. Like, <laughs> It's always that we're growing so fast. Everybody wants our product. Uh, we raise money. We're all that. Like they always share, and it's like the cocktail party. Everybody talks about their wins, never their losses. But how do you mentally stay focused on continuing to push forward in those tough days that you have as a founder? Yeah, I would say two things to that. Number one, love your product and or solution or your customer. 
or really be passionate about solving the customer pain point. You don't have to do a social enterprise company or a company that is ultimately directly doing good, like say Hadado, you know, can I can tie my mission to doing good. But if you can tie your mission and your work to the customer pain point and you're passionate about the customer pain point, I think that's what is going to get you through the ups and downs of being a founder. Um, second, I would say you know, to your point about like we never asked a founder, they never said it's going bad. There's there is a founders club. And when you're talking founder to founder and no one else is listening, that's when people will say, oh my God, the pain points and the challenges. But you're not going to hear it otherwise because otherwise the founder mindset is I've got to market this company, right? Things are going great. <laughs> so it's a it's a funny thing that you won't ever see until you become part of that founders club and then you get the real, the real talk sometimes. That is true. Me and you won't talk about it here because we're, everything is great in both of our businesses. Everything exactly. Is There's no problems. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. I was talking about everybody else's business, not our businesses. Our, our businesses yeah. are top-notch flying straight. <laughs> we're special. We're special. Our businesses are special. We're special founders. Beren, man, this has been really fun. Uh, I, I am a, I am a huge, huge fan of what y'all are doing. I, I believe in it. I think it's an impact uh, that is worthy and it's a cause that's that's awesome that I'm I'm happy to promote. But I think it's just more bringing awareness to what y'all are doing because it's not many people doing it. So I appreciate you taking the time. But before I let you go, I always have to ask these two questions. Part of the reason we do these podcasts is not only to bring cool stories and cool people and interesting people to the listener base, but it's also, I love to learn and listener base loves to learn. And part of that is these conversations, but also learning from great people that are reading books and we love to read. And I'm curious, what's one of those books out there that you think everybody should read? Yeah. I mean, I think from a founder perspective, uh, one of my favorites is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the story of Nike and how he built that from an idea to a company, to a vision, to really a, a brand that transcends so much. And I think you see that entire journey in that book. And um, it's fascinating to see the ups and downs he had, you know, in an era when we didn't have the internet and, and to weather those storms. I think it is a, a, a good pill to swallow and for, for us in entrepreneurship. I'll give you one other one, which is My Life in Full by Indra Nui, who's the former CEO of Pepsi. And I think it's an important book because she talks about the challenges of women in the workplace and how women get to leadership and what it's going to take to get gender equality in the U.S. specifically, but you know globally in business. And it's a probably you know you look at that cover and you say, oh, this is for a woman, but I think it's it's got to be read by by everyone um, to really have an impact. I love that. I haven't read that one, but in order for there to be an impact, it has to be read by both sexes, both genders, everybody. Because um, women know it, men need to know it, and uh, together we can make that change. And I think that um, you know, Shoe Dog is I was smiling as you're saying that one because if anybody wants to know about the ups and downs and the stresses that go into building a business, read Shoe Dog because <laughs> Phil Knight, yeah, I mean, heck, he was he had banks after him, no money, and shoes coming in and had to sell, and it, it was. Um, whether you like the guy or not, what he did was incredible uh, to get there. Then the last question I always ask, you know, I got it from Barron's and some of their conferences that they go to. What's one piece of actionable advice or actual insight that you think individuals listening to this particular episode should take away from our conversation here today? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say two, two things. One is on the business side of things, when you think about having impact, first and foremost, think about your company and the people around you. Are you being good to the, to the folks that you're managing? Are they going to be inspired and talk positively about you in five years? Are you making an impact and developing them as people? I think that's just so much of, of businesses taking care of the folks around you. And so, you know, think about that. And then on the, on the nonprofit side and the, and the donation side, 
don't underestimate the power of, of a little dollar on a regular basis. Um, recurring donations are the lifeblood of nonprofits, big and small. And when you give recurring, you create predictability in their revenue stream that lets them plan and realize their vision and takes them out of the fundraising game of constantly needing to go back and talk to donors. And that's one of the ways you can have a big impact without changing the dollar amount that you're giving. I love that. I think that that's such a powerful thing. Just think about it in our lives, right? It just having a recurring income makes it easier for us to understand what we're doing. If you think about having to go and earn your income one time every year, right. the stresses that it that it causes, I think that that's such a powerful takeaway and action item for, for this topic. Uh, Varen, man, it's been an honor having you on, man. I really appreciate you taking time from Los Angeles, not that's San right. Diego. But uh, I know that everybody is going to that's listening is going to want to continue to follow you, follow Hidato, follow everything that you're doing and, and the great things. So how can people stay in touch with you specifically? And how can people you know stay in touch with Hidato and, and get involved in that way? Yeah, Hidato, uh, Hidato.com, H-E-D-A-D-O.com. And you can start by either creating your account and giving or even creating a, a, a campaign and actually doing some matching if you're really passionate about some organizations. And for me, you can find me, my handle is VTELUS, both on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's where I'm most present. Awesome. Red man. Thank you. Good luck. Can't wait to continue following you and let me know what we can do to help. Stay in touch. Thanks, Matt. Great chatting with you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 